loved ones, as a church, as a church, no matter what society says, students who are here, all our Mac students here in university, no matter what you hear and all the humanism, all the relativism, all the pluralism, atheism, all the attacks, the brutal attacks on God, on Christ, on the Christian faith, our highest thought must be the Lord. And we will find our greatest purpose. But listen, you must believe this to be true. You must believe that your greatest purpose is not found in pursuit of self. It's God, I love you. I'm living my life for you now. I'm giving you glory. Hi, and welcome back to Live in the Light. We're so thankful that you've tuned us in here today, and we're trusting that God beginning to move in your heart and changing and shaping you through the message today. That's really the purpose of Live in the Light Ministries as a whole. We exist to see radical transformation through the revelation of God's truth. What that means, frankly, is verse by verse through God's Word, as God's Spirit works in you, we're expectant, we're praying for, we're hopeful for great changes your lives as well as in ours. Well, today's message takes us along a little bit further in our series, One Thing. And One Thing, this series, has been designed to remove the distractions from our lives. We live this life so many times with so many distractions in this digital age, answering email, answering phone calls, answering all kinds of things, clutter on our desk, clutter in our lives. Well, if that's what you are like in life, and many of us are, maybe you're like that in your spiritual life as well. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, so many of us are. Well, this message, one thing, is designed to address that specifically. To get rid of the clutter, to bring back the simple truths of what it means to follow the Lord with everything you have. And today's message brings that to a finer point even more. Ephesians chapter 1, our message today, takes us to one thing in our purpose. We're praying for great things today, loved ones. Let's go to God's Word now, and here's our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons. Again, think on it, love it. To dwell on this verse makes me smile. See? (laughs) But it does, it does. It brings me joy, it fires me up. I mean, how can it not when you really take in what it's saying? The genuine believer of Jesus Christ has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed like the official envelope. It marks ownership, it marks security. The genuine believer of Jesus Christ is sealed sealed, is proven by the Holy Spirit who lives within them. And this is why then evidence of God's Spirit at work in your life and mine is so vital, because the Spirit of God is the guarantee that we are real in Christ. The Holy Spirit in us and through us is proof that he has saved us. This is why uh, responding to the Christian faith must be more than just the mind. It must be more than just intellectual. It must be more than just a conscious understanding of what it means. Because even the demons believe. It must also affect the heart. It must also transform the affections. It must also change your life. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ, you are sealed by God's Spirit. You are changing. Perfect? No. Changing? Yes. Yes. Because he has been sealed 
by the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. The Holy Spirit is promised. Why? Because he is the one who preserves us to the end. Hence, he is called our guarantee. The Holy Spirit in us guarantees what? That we will uh, be preserved to the end to receive our full inheritance in Christ. And the word guarantee there, see guarantee? That word can mean down payment. A form of this word was also used as an engagement ring. So think about that. So then the Holy Spirit in our lives becomes, becomes God's irrevocable pledge to his church. The Holy Spirit given to us is the irrevocable pledge of God to his people. How awesome our God is. That you are filled with God's spirit once and for all, how good and kind and faithful and glorious he is. And we think about that as a child in God, that your redemption is about God's glory, that you've been sealed with God's spirit. I don't know about you, but when I sit on verses 13 and 14, I want my temple to get clean in a hurry. You know what I'm saying? I want my temple. I want to give every opportunity for the power of God's spirit to reign in my life that I might understand and comprehend the reasons that I was saved and now the reason that I am to live because I want to find purpose. The spirit of God is the one who brings that to us. So I remind us as we go through verses 11 to 14, this whole time, Paul has been climbing this glorious mountain. He is leaving markers along the way, marker of inheritance, marker of the guarantee of God's spirit, the mark of the fact that we have been predestined or chosen by God. We'll call this mountain he's climbing the mountain of redemption. And because from verse three until now, it has all been the wonders of our redemption. But now I suggest to you, he gets to the top of this mountain, he grabs his flag, and what he does now is he firmly plants it in the ground. And look at the end of verse 14. After all of this, he says, to the praise of his glory. Okay, just, just, just consider all that has just been said. We just looked at three, four verses. We could go through verses one to 10. Awesome. He ends in verse 14, to the praise of his glory. A phrase that is easy to overlook, but absolutely essential in understanding our purpose. Again, don't miss this in Ephesians 1, verse 6. See verse 6? To the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, uh, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. What is becoming clear here? Our redemption, our salvation is all about God's glory. Our lives are therefore to result in God's glory. And what this means then, and this is not small in our day and age of humanistic thinking, we have not been given an inheritance to serve self. We have not been chosen in order to live a self-indulgent life. We have not received salvation in order to make ourselves happy. We have not been sealed by the Holy Spirit for our own glory. The number one reason we have been redeemed and the number one reason God has worked in us is that he might be glorified. Loved ones, God loves his glory. And he's allowed to because he's perfect. He has no error. He is majestic and holy and omniscient and omnipresent. And we go on and on. He is the absolute perfect supreme God. He loves his glory. John 12, Jesus facing the cross and Jesus calls out and says, Father, glorify your name. And the voice comes from heaven and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. What is the cross ultimately about? I'm sorry, it's not about you. Ultimately, it's about the glory of God through the love of his son, Jesus Christ. His love extended to us, but ultimately it's about the glory of the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, and the power of God's spirit. 
Our redemption is all about the glory of God. When you are living the one thing, you see that. And it motivates you to live not for self, but for him. The number one reason that God has done this is for his glory. Here's another number one reason. The number one reason that this doesn't occur in our lives more, that we don't live for God's glory more, the number one reason is because why? Is because we don't believe it to be true. Point 1A then is this, um, we must believe it. We must believe that our greatest purpose is God's glory. We must believe that our redemption is about God's glory. And here's where we must be honest with ourselves. Again, often, so often, we don't believe it to be true. We don't believe that our lives should equal God's glory. Now, we might agree in mind and say, amen, yeah, amen. Everything in our lives is for God's glory. But it's easy to say, but in practice, we live for self-glory. Why is this such a battle? Why is this foundational truth so rare in the church today, at least in our nation? Here's a huge reason. Ready? Humanism. Humanism. What's humanism? Humanism is a philosophical system of thought that focuses on human value, human thought, and human actions. In short, humanism is profoundly atheistic. Humanism in its many forms has come to displace theology as the proper lens for understanding life. The devastation of 18th and 19th century arrogance and man-centered philosophy has crept into all areas and realms of society. Humanism has infected our patterns of thinking. Humanism has affected our behavior. Humanism, whether we realize it or not, has programmed and is programming ourselves to think on self. It is subtle, yet it has been so pervasive, and it stands, humanism and its thinking and its philosophy stands as a direct enemy to living for the glory of God. And it's everywhere more than ever in our society. And so what we must do then is we must step back from our lives and look at our thoughts, our desires, and our behaviors. And we must begin. This is what the child of God does who's living the one thing because God brings wisdom. And wisdom cuts through the lies of society. And wisdom cuts through the lies of Satan. And wisdom cuts through all the false teaching that we are receiving. Again, whether we are conscious of it or not, we must begin to recognize how infected we are with this human philosophy for life. You know, it's incredible to think that for centuries and centuries, 17, 18 centuries, man's highest thought has always been God. But for the last, let's say, 200 plus years or so, man has figured out how great he is. It's true. And man now has become his own humanity, has become their own highest thought. And of course, the church is not immune to this. It should be. But in the church, it subtly slithers up and down the pews, in the pulpit, and to the people. And it's devastating for men and women, even of God, to find their greatest purpose. And the awful fruit of this seed of sin is that we actually start to think, believe, and behave that we have been saved for our own glory. And so easily this becomes about our happiness, our satisfaction, our blessing, our giftedness, our pleasure, and our glory. We take the cross of Jesus Christ and we start to make it about our convenience, our entitlement, and our rights. And when you really think about it, and you think of it in this light, it becomes horrific. 
how this must grieve the spirit of God. You know, it's found in phrases that you may not say these phrases out loud, but you might, but you probably think them phrases like this. God, how could you? God, how could you? God, why didn't you? Uh, God, where are you? Or phrases like, God, I want. God, I deserve. God, I must be. Wait a second, time out. Time out. We have to be reminded and sobered with the truth of who's the creator again and who's the creature. Who's the creator? Who's the one who rules the universe? Who's the one who oversees every star and every cell in your body? Who's the one who allows you to exist and cause your heart to beat? It's the arrogance of man who stares in the face of God and says, I know more than you, God. It's Job confronting God and God ultimately says, where were you when I? It's like a toddler bossing around a parent. How dare you, little child, boss around your parent, and yet you compare humans speaking to God in this manner infinitely worse. But see, in order for us to see this truth, we must first believe this truth. Turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, the final book in the Bible. Revelation chapter 4, I want to read verse 9 to 11. This is the throne room of God. This is the, one of the holiest scenes we can see and find in Scripture. This is the holiness of our God. This is the majesty of our God. This is the glory of our God. It says in verse 9, and when, Revelation 4, verse 9, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, picture this in your mind, the 24 elders fall down before, of course they do, who is seated on the throne and worship him, of course they do, because he's the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, of course they do, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Notice this, here's the reason why. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. There is one who deserves this glory. There is one who can say, I have created all things. There is one who can say, I allow you to exist. And that is why in the throne room of God, this worship goes on and will go on forever and ever. And this will be in the eternal state. All that we do is worship the perfect God and we will never be more satisfied and never be in a place of more freedom than we find ourselves face to face with our Lord Jesus Christ, giving all the glory to him, him alone, to whom it was worthy. You take Revelation 4 and verses 9 to 11 and you say, in your face, humanism in your face satanic lies of this age we do not live for self we live for God loved ones as a church as a church no matter what society says students who are here all our max students here in university no matter what you hear and all the humanism all the relativism all the pluralism all the atheism all the attacks the brutal attacks on God on Christ on the Christian faith our highest thought must be the Lord and we will find our greatest purpose. But listen, you must believe this to be true. 
It starts here. You must believe it is not about you. You must believe that your greatest purpose is not found in pursuit of self. How subtle that is. Oh God, I love you, but I'm gonna go do it my own life. It's God, I love you. I'm living my life for you now. I'm giving you glory. We must believe this truth. Secondly, this, uh, point 1B, we must die for it. We must die for it. Now, I'm going to use a negative example here in the hope that it's going to inspire us towards a positive example. Uh, Turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 106. Psalm 106. Let me hear those pages turning. Not lazy Christians, working hard Christians, right? Want to give glory to God in your life right now? Turn to Psalm 106. Psalm 106, we're looking at verses 19 to 23. This stuff, man, this stuff is good. This is, this is like a history, a mini history of Israel in the psalm. But unfortunately, there's some very negative sections about Israel's disobedience and forgetting the things that God has done. Psalm 106, verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for an image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. What is the psalm telling us? It's telling us that Israel, quote, forgot their God, quote, their Savior. It's telling us they ceased to worship the one who rescued them. The verse I find most staggering is verse 20. They exchanged the glory of God for an image of an ox that eats Grass. So when I read this, it's almost like the Holy Spirit is trying to be ridiculous as he writes this word through this author. Notice he could have said they exchanged the glory of God for an image, but he says not just an image, he says an image of an ox, but not just an image of an ox, an image of an ox that eats grass. Okay, so here's what God's people did. They go, okay, ready? Here you go. Okay, I wanna make a deal with you. I'll give you the glory of God and you give me that sweet metal cow. I'll give you the glory of God and I'll take that metal cow right there. That's called a bad plan. And that's called a bad exchange. I will exchange with you the glory of God for more sin in my life. Man, I'm so glad we don't do that because that would be ridiculous. Oh, wait, we do do that. We do do that. You know, when we read the exchange of glory of God for the image of an oxidized grass, it should bring tears to our eyes in some level. When we really get this, it should bring tears to our eyes. I'll exchange with you the glory of God for, for a wad of cash. I will pass over the things of God in my life if I can have a stack of money. I will exchange the glory of God in my pursuit of him for a TV. I would rather sit and worship at pollution coming through a screen than glorify the Lord with my life. I'll exchange for you the glory of God in my life for a pornographic image. Disgusting. Revolting. Blasphemous awful, satanic, so disgustingly sinful. I will not pursue you, God. I will pursue sexual sin to satisfy my lust. God, break us. 
Help us to see the things that we are actually doing. God, I will exchange your glory for a better paid position at work. I will exchange your glory to ruin my life at the pursuit of the almighty dollar. God, I will exchange your glory, really, for my sin. That's the choice we make a lot. It should hurt us. That's not a good deal. So right here is the most important part of this message. Because if we want purpose, then we must live for God's glory. And if we're going to live for God's glory, listen, listen, right here, ready? And we must die to self. There is no way this will happen. Listen to what A.W. Tozer says. Man, this guy blesses me. He loved the Lord, man. He says, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. And then he says this, we want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. That's profound. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. Now, Jesus does not ask us to die for our sins, but he does ask us to die to self. In light of the fact that he has died for our sins, he now says, live for me. He now says, take up your cross. He now says, lose your life. He now says, live for the glory of me, he says. He doesn't ask us to die for our sins, but he does ask us to die to self. And this is why in John 12, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But, but if this grain of wheat dies, it bears much fruit. A grain of wheat When it falls to the ground, this little tiny grain of weed, it's smaller than your pinky nail. It falls in the ground. If it does not die, nothing happens. But when it dies and it cracks open, it literally explodes in multiple, multiple hundreds of fruit-producing, life-giving seeds. It's a beautiful, brilliant image by the Son of God. As we die, we explode with fruit. John 15, 8, listen, listen, Jesus said, By this, my father is glorified. I'm listening. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He says, by this, my father is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How do you bear much fruit? You gotta die to self. We have to be willing to die to self. If you want purpose and you want to live for God's glory, we must die for it. And finally, if our redemption is all about God's glory, then this must happen. We must be, point one C, we must be transformed by it. Amen. Transformed by it. Believe it, die for it, transformed by it. Here's the last passage we'll turn to tonight. 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Okay, so I'm turning us to these passages, obviously, for a reason. Take all that we have learned so far, 
Uh, apply verse 18 to what has preceded. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, 2 Corinthians 3.18, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let me read that again. And we all, who's we all? We all are believers, believers in Jesus Christ. It says with unveiled, with unveiled face. What's that? That's, that's the new covenant. All of those who are in Christ under the new covenant, the curtain has been torn. The holy of holies is now given access to, so to speak. The presence of God can be held. The, the face of God we can seek and love What was formerly only for Moses is now for all who believe. He says, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. What is that? This is being fixated on the glory of Jesus Christ. This is the life living to behold his power. Glory is the Greek word doxa. Doxa is praise and honor and radiance and splendor. It is speaking of the fame and the power and the majesty of Jesus Christ. And what it's saying here is the more we seek to behold the glory of the Lord, and the more we are changed by it. He says it here, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Whose image? The image of Christ. Becoming like Christ is the will of God upon our lives. As you pursue the one thing, part of the fruit that you bear on your one thing tree is becoming more like Jesus Christ. He says, from one degree of glory to another. This is so awesome. Listen, live out the one thing and watch the growth happen happen. Watch the growth take place in your life as you live for the one thing. You seek to behold God's glory. You are then transformed into his image and from one degree of glory to another. You see, we are, we are living for the upward call for the prize, which is eternity with Christ, where the glory of God will be known and revealed. And the, oh man, just, just, just think about paradise with God for a moment. Yes, and we are pursuing that one bit at a time, one degree of glory becoming more like Christ. You can continue to have aspects of God's glory be found in your life that you might shine for him, loved ones. God loves his glory. And anyone who loves God loves his glory too. If there is one thing you take away from this evening, it's this. Our redemption is all about the glory of God. Our redemption is all about the glory of God. Hey, 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 one thing in my purpose, God's glory. One thing. Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. What do we do from here? This is, this is a sample of what we do. Listen, you leave here, you give thanks to him. You sing here tonight, you give thanks to him. You worship him. Give God glory in the details of your life. You go home tonight and you crack open the fridge and there's food there, glory to God. You see food in your fridge, you give God glory. Give God glory. You see the changing leaves in our upcoming fall season, don't you give glory to Mother Nature, you give glory to God Almighty. You look up and you say, God, you're awesome. You see squirrels gathering nuts to to store away for the winter, God give glory. God gets the glory. You see ants running around doing their thing. God gets glory. Have you ever seen a child being born before? 
Man does not get glory, okay? The woman does not get glory. God gets glory for that. Has your life been changed? Are you being transformed? God gets glory. Are you excited about your family? Do you think that your kids are great? You don't get glory, parents. God gets glory. God is the one who gets glory for everything. Everything. Has your heart been lifted up in this message? God gets the glory. Is your attitude being changed? God gets the glory. You're breathing right now. You woke up today. Your heart's beating. God gets the glory. Are you excited about heaven and you're waiting for eternal life to take place? God gets the glory. Everything in our lives, everything we do, everything we say, think, and breathe is to be about the glory of God. And then, then you are filled with an incredible purpose in life. But you, you must die, I must die, and God shines and we are blessed. Listen, listen, God loves his glory. Thanks for listening to us today. If you'd like to hear this message again or any messages in this series, visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. That's all for today. Join us next time at Live in the Light. Oh, yeah.